I wanted to give you some of my, I'll call it religious history or history with religion. I know I've spoken about here and there different times, but I thought I'd try to put it all together so you can see who I am from that vantage point anyways. But I didn't grow up in the church. Uh, the Ripley Presbyterian Church was the family church. Uh, if somebody was dead or wed, uh, that's where it was done, or it was done by the pastor from there. Uh, my mother would drop me off for Sunday school once in a while. didn't seem like it was ever very consistent whatsoever, but it ended when I was about 10 or 12 years old. When I was in junior high, uh, I would go to what they called religious education, Wednesday afternoon, last period, and you could... Uh, go to the Presbyterian Church and be there and get some education. And I went because it got me out of school. Uh, the biggest thing that I remember from all of that was when uh, Larry Atkins and I got um, fighting or arguing or whatever about something, and I knocked his Bible on the floor, and the woman who was teaching the class said, you're going to go to hell for that. Um, I, I just don't think that's going to happen, or it wouldn't happen for that reason. Uh, when I was a teenager, occasionally I would go to the Methodist Youth Fellowship because uh, there were some good-looking girls there. And when I was dating uh, Marie, my first wife, uh, she was Catholic, and uh, for whatever reason, she didn't want me to go to her church. But um, when I went to the army, I was going to the Catholic Church, and I started the Catholicism classes there. And then I went to Vietnam, and the first thing I did was find myself a, a priest, and he made me a Catholic. So when I got back home, uh, we got married in the Catholic Church, and, and I became pretty active in different things. And there was a men's group that would meet, I don't know, maybe once a month or once a quarter or whatever. And it was just in a room in the back of the church. And so we would be there and we would uh, like play some board games or play cards or whatever it was. And, uh, you know, what got me about this was, you know, some of these men were smokers and they were back there smoking. And uh, someone had brought some beer and it was the priest that had brought the beer. Uh, to me, none of this seemed right. Okay. Well, then my wife and I, we got divorced, and we had to go to Buffalo to meet with um, two different priests there. Uh, she met with one, and I met with the other, and then we swapped. And then my marriage was annulled after that, after enough money was paid. Uh, my wife, Diane, she had grown up in the Methodist Church, and a uh, little tiny country church, and that's where we were married on June 24th, 1977. And then October 2nd, 1977, is when I made a commitment to the Lord. Uh, so 12 years later, 89, I started in ministry part-time. had a little church out in the middle of nowhere, and we were there for two years. And then I became full-time and we were at uh, United Methodist Churches in Cherry Creek and South Dayton, and we were there for seven years. And during that time, I was going to 
of Wesley Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C. After we left the Cherry Creek, South Dayton area, we went to Delaware for a year. Uh, a little town, Bethel, kind of neat little place. Uh, and, and then we went back to New York and more into central New York. And we were at Belmont and Sio for four years. And then we went to uh, Cambridge, Maryland, and we were there for five years, uh, 03 to 08. And then in 08, uh, we went to Millville. And it was near the beach in Delaware. And um, I was their first full-time pastor. In 2015, I retired. Uh, we moved to Lexington, Kentucky. We went to Southland Community Church, or Christian Church, excuse me, uh, for the year we were there. Then we went to Florida, uh, lived in Palm Harbor, and went to Harborside Christian Church uh, for the two years we were there. And we moved to Kissimmee. We were there for two years, and we never really found a church home. We probably went to at least a half a dozen churches, and nothing seemed to fit. Uh, And then in 2020, when we moved to Oklahoma, then we started going to Life Church, and that's where we are. So that's my road to the podcast, Life, started in 2015. Let's pray. Father, I just give you thanks and praise for the fact that no matter where I was in my walk or my non-walk with you, you were there. Uh, you, you loved me before I loved you, and it, you forgave me for everything that I had done and will do. And Lord, I just appreciate that. I just praise you for that. So Father, as we look at your word today, Lord, let's see the message that you have for us, and you will speak to our hearts and our minds, and just let the Holy Spirit guide us. Okay, Messiah's brother number six. What? Wait a minute. Is there another chapter in James? No, I didn't skip a chapter. I didn't forget a chapter. And I'm not making something up. But many of you know that Jude was another brother to Jesus. And he wrote the book bearing his name. And it's this little tiny book just before the book of Revelation. It's the fifth shortest book in the Bible, behind 3 John, 2 John, Philemon, and Obadiah. Only 461 words, depending on the version you use. And the meaning of uh, the name Jude is praise or to praise God. Uh, If I were the man on the street and stopped people and asked them, you know, well, what do you know about Jude? And I think that 90% or more would say, oh, that was a Beatles song. And... They wouldn't know that there was a book in the Bible that was by that name. And unfortunately, if I asked people in the church that same question, probably the answers would be just about the same. So the biblical Jude and the meaning of the song, Hey Jude, are really far apart. Okay, Uh, The song was written by Paul McCartney and John Lennon uh, during the time that John Lennon was divorcing his wife. And it was written for his son, uh, Julius, the original, or Julianne, excuse me. The original title title was Hey Jules instead of Hey Jude. Uh, So let's see what Jude has to tell us in this first and only chapter. 
Okay, in verses 1 and 2, it says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Now, starting right out, this makes me wonder. Okay, he, he said that he was a brother to James, but a servant to Jesus Christ. Well, I guess I don't know why he didn't say he was a brother to Jesus as well. But again, one of those things will last someday. So the word servant here means a slave belonging to an owner. And so that's how he views his life. That even though for many years he denied that Jesus was who he was, but now he's a servant to him and committed to him. So apparently he's committed his life to working for the Lord. Uh, the recipients of this letter aren't named. Uh, just says those who have been called and loved by God. Could have been Jewish believers and or Gentile believers. But he wishes them mercy, peace, and love. Something the first century Christians did not get a lot of. Okay, in verse 3, Jude says, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. Okay, I can compare myself to Jude on this point. Okay, starting one direction and going another. Okay, what he kind of said was, I wanted to write to you about our salvation, but I need to tell you this instead. Okay, I believe that Jude, what he is saying is, Tell everyone about Jesus. Just what we should be hearing from our church leaders now. Instead of some of the really, really soft stuff that's being given, you know, oh, we are just all great people and, you know, just love each other, which we're supposed to do. And just, you know, everything's going to be okay. It's all going to work out, you know, yada, yada, yada. Uh, no. Why does this need to happen? Verse 4 tells us, For certain individuals who, whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who per pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus as our only sovereign and Lord. In other words, Jude is calling out some of the people that are in the church. Okay, well, his brother spoke about this in Matthew 7, beginning in verse 15. Jesus says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree can't bear good, or excuse me, a good tree can't bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. 
Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. If we take the time to look at some of the leaders in, in our churches, some need to be cut down. And we need to examine those who are making decisions that are contrary to Scripture. We need to look beneath their outer clothing and see what they really are. And Jesus, he doesn't mince words here in his condemnation. Okay, he says, for every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. You're going to go to hell, is basically what he said. Verse 5 in Jude says, Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. Now, that's not a news flash to the Jewish readers of this letter. And it shouldn't be a news flash to most of us. Numbers chapter 14, beginning in verse 20. says, The Lord replied, I've forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live, and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised and owe to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. Hmm. Well, we know that Joshua and Caleb were the only two that did make it into the promised land, and they were allowed to enter because of their faithfulness to the Lord through that time. Well, verse 6 gives us something that we may have heard or read, and, uh, you know, at one time, and it's one of those things that, tch, I know it's in the Bible somewhere, I don't really don't know. And verse 6 tells us this, And the angels, who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. Who's Jude talking about? Who are these angels? Okay, I mean, we all think that angels, they're just, you know, nice guys that float around on clouds and play their harps. And some of them are just fat little cute cherubs. And we'll go there another time. But in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4, this is what Peter says. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. Okay, if God did that to them, don't think that he can't and won't do it to you. Okay, so when the angels sinned, God made them pay for eternity. And a familiar passage from Jesus in Matthew 25. Okay, it's the passage about the sheep and the goats Okay, that the sheep were judged for their goodness and invited in heaven, and then came the goats, okay? And they were judged for their disobedience. In verse 41, this is what the Lord says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. The great day? 
Peter tells us that's the day to be held for judgment. Judgment day. That's the day that you want to know for sure that you are a sheep. In verse 7, Jude gives us another history lesson. He says, in a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. The end of the story depends on the choices that we make. Okay, we need to remember that. The first choice we need to make is Jesus. And then we need to make as many godly choices as we can after that. In verses 8 through 10, Jude continues this way. In the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said... The Lord rebuke you, is what Michael said. Yet those people slander whatever they do not understand, and the very things that they do understand by instinct, as irrational animals do, they will destroy. Jude was speaking to believers almost 2,000 years ago. Or was he? Okay, don't we really see a lot of the world today in what he's saying? I think these verses hit a little too close to home for some believers. Verse 11, Woe to them! They have taken the way of Cain, they have rushed for the prophet of Balaam's error, and they have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. Okay, he gives us three wrong directions. Number one, Cain. Okay, he was guilty of jealousy and hatred. Balaam's error was consuming greed. And number three, Korah's rebellion. Korah rebelled against God's leadership. Jude may be suggesting that the false teachers of his day were doing the same thing as those three. In verses 12 and 13, Jude lets us know just how he really feels about these people. He says, these people are blemishes at your love feast eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom the blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Okay, Jude gives us six different metaphors to describe the false teachers, to describe the leaders, each with a different fault. Verses 14 and 15, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly for all the ungodly acts they have done as they are ungodly, and all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Now this Enoch that uh, Jude is talking about is not from the line of Cain, 
but from Seth's line. And now, there is a book of Enoch, and it was often used in New Testament times, quoted by uh, different New Testament writers. And it just didn't make the cut, okay, for the canonization. But what does he tell us that Enoch says? Ungodly, 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 ungodly. Okay, Enoch and Jude are driving home a point that goes back to verse 4 when Jude is pointing out the godless that have infiltrated the church. And he concludes these thoughts in verse 16. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. Wow, doesn't that really sound like today? Isn't that the world as we see it? And unfortunately, isn't that sometimes a part of the church that we see as well? And we know who these grumblers and fault finders are. And if you don't, maybe you better check because maybe it's you. Starting in verse 17, Jude is reminding the believers not to be like those attacking the church, encouraging them to follow the example they have seen or heard about the apostles. In verses 17 through 19, Jude says, But, dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, In the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. Luke, in uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 29, tells us something similar. He says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. And Paul, in his first letter to Timothy, chapter 4, verse 1, says the Spirit clearly says that in the later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. And then he makes a second warning in his second letter to Timothy when he says, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Amen to that. Peter tells us in his second letter, chapter 3, verse 3, Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. And he makes another warning of that in chapter 2. Well, Jude gives us the antidote for the works of the ungodly in verses 20 and 21. He says, But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Okay? We need to do the same thing. Okay? We need to be in Bible study, not just reading the Bible. I mean, there's nothing wrong with reading the Bible. 
But we need to be studying the Bible, taking a, a book of the Bible, taking a passage, a, a verse, and just seeing what that really says. We need to spend more time in real prayer, not just, you know, going to the Lord with our shopping list and saying, okay, Lord, you know, I need this and this and this person needs that. No, but going to the Lord, first of all, with praise. Thank you, Father, for who you are and the things that you've done for me. You know, I'm just so blessed because of you. And we need to be having fellowship with true believers, people that we know believe the same as we do. How do we do this? Well, if you're a person that's supposed to be looking for counterfeit money, how do you learn? Okay, you don't look by, or you, excuse me, you don't learn by looking at counterfeit money. Okay, you learn by looking at the real thing. Okay, you learn, let's say, a $20 bill. You know, you study a $20 bill and you know just exactly what that's supposed to look like. You can draw up a picture of it because you know just where every jot and tittle is supposed to be on that dollar bill, a $20 bill. And so if you pick up a $20 bill and you start looking at it and say, whoa, wait a minute, you know, that's not supposed to be there. And, you know, there's this is supposed to be over here on the bill. And, you know, this isn't even on the bill anywhere. So the same with true believers. We need to, to look at them and see really where they are in their relationship with the Lord. In verses 22 and 23, Judas tells us how we are to act in the midst of all this. He says, be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire to show others mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. And this is how the message puts it. Go easy on those who hesitate in the faith. Go after those who take the wrong way. Be tender with sinners, but not soft on sin. The sin itself stinks to high heaven. Yes, to all of the above. Finally, Jude gives us something that's familiar to many of us, but you didn't know where it came from. Okay, you were pretty sure it came from the Bible someplace, but you really didn't know. And if somebody asks you, Probably Jude wouldn't be the place that you would say, oh yeah, that's from Jude. Now you can. Verses 24 and 25. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Well, this concludes the letters of Jesus' brothers. Brothers from the same mother, but a different father. Let's pray. Father, we just give you thanks that you have given us your word, and we can look at it and know that it's true today, just like it was true when it was written hundreds of years ago, some of it thousands of years ago. And that it's still relevant today, you know, which to many people would be a, a thought that they didn't have. They say that that's just, you know, a history book 
or that's just you know something that we uh, you know need to, to read and maybe get some good ideas from no it's alive and well and we need to make it alive and well in us in our spirit so father i know that some of my brothers and sisters you know maybe struggle with that lord help them to to believe help them with their own belief that they can uh, know that your word is for now is for today that it's speaking to us as a parent as a child as an employer or employee um, as a retired guy uh, that lord your word is for us now but father i know that there may be someone that's listening to this that uh, doesn't know you and they were one that you know never heard of the book of jude but lord they never heard a whole lot more uh, about your word and about your son and it's your son that they need to know it's your son that they need to turn their life over to and to make that commitment to and realize that they're a sinner but they're a sinner just like everybody else it's not just that they are a sinner that we all are so father help them to pray this prayer dear heavenly father i know i'm a sinner i know i need a savior thank you for jesus who died for my sins that i could be forgiven and i can spend eternity with you in heaven thank you for your holy spirit and just fill me with your holy spirit now in jesus name amen